Just as we continue our reading in John's first epistle, and we read from 1 John 4, the verses 7 through 21. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 21 is our scripture passage. And then in response, we will be singing from Psalm 112, the stanzas 3, 4, and 5, which show us an example of the righteous one who lives in Christ and shows what blessing it gives to those who live in love to God and to the neighbor. What blessing it is for the person who is righteous, for those who are in his nearness, in his vicinity, but also what envy it evokes with those who begrudge him the blessings of the Lord. It, as with Christ, it calls us to discern our life, and it will result with some in joy and thanksgiving, but with others in envy and hatred, as you know from the Savior's life as well. But we first listen then to 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also are to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So far the reading of God's holy words. This morning, brothers and sisters, I may focus your attention particularly on the verses 7 through 12 
of 1 John 4. And I would like to read these verses closely once again. 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing all four stanzas of hymn 50. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the previous sermons, brothers and sisters, we have listened to the Apostle John as he expressed his love and care for the congregations he served. Central to his epistle has been the communion with God and the fellowship among his dear children. He proclaimed a life with God through our unity and faith with Christ, the life and light that came to us from God. John wrote the way he did in order to defend and protect the congregations against the opponents of his teachings. These opponents were antichrists who denied that God had come into the flesh. They denied that Christ had to become man in order to restore us to God. John exposed them as false prophets who brought the world into the church, worldly philosophy and worldly lifestyles. They were not of God. They did not belong to Christ. And they had gone out from them for that reason. They were of a different spirit than the congregation of Christ. They weren't born of God, for they did not love the children of God, but themselves. Now in our scripture passage, beloved, John continues his address of the brotherhood that had remained in Christ. God's children who walked in the truth. He addresses them with the words in our text, Beloved, let us love one another. That's something the world doesn't understand. What good does love do? How does it help us that we love one another? In the world, knowledge is important science and technology. They give us power over nature. 
disclose the treasures of the world. The world calls for entertainment, art, culture, and sports. In the world, the spirit of competition prevails. Countries are competing for power and progress and innovation. Sports teams compete for trophies, victories, and glory. Businesses outdo each other, etc. Even in the church, it happens that fellow members are measured by standards of the hockey world, soccer players, and golf performance. You got to win, or you are no good. Then coming to where it's important, John advocates a different spirit, different standards for the church, for the life among the communion of saints. Let us love one another. Science, art, entertainment, culture, and sports are matters for individuals, after all. Love is a matter for everyone. Even the most simple member of the church of Jesus Christ understands that and can participate in it. Then love is not a feeling only, as I've mentioned before, or a matter of nice words. In the scriptures, love is a matter of the will, of action, of deeds, of practice, and of sacrifice. Loving God's beloved means helping each other in times of need, being a hand and a foot to each other, being forbearing with one another, supporting each other in the battle against sin. John doesn't work this out in details, examples, or specific commands. He lays down the principles, explains the source, and holds up the divine motivation. Hence, I proclaim the call to reflect the love of God the Father. God founds love. God shows love. God works love. That's how I would like to summarize the message of our text. The call to reflect the love of God the Father. God founds love. God shows love. And God works love. So first of all, God is the foundation of love. It seems somewhat precarious, brothers and sisters, to set out on a sermon about love. Love is one of those buzzwords of our time, and we all have our doubts and reservations about its meaning in the world. In a religious sense as well, a love is used which is dangerously tolerant and condones everything. It's questionable indeed whether the word love may be used for an attitude which separates love from truth, from justice, and from righteousness. In the church too, however, love is suspect and speaking about it despised as soft, as subjective, and as sort of unworkable. 
Yet it's most important in the church that we know and understand the truth about love and practice it in the church. In the church, it's been observed too often that those who can be so orthodox in doctrine are cold and callous in love. Hence, it's good to listen to the Apostle John who places love in the spotlight. When you don't love, you don't know God. It's remarkable, beloved, that John doesn't start out by calling God's dear children to love God. Actually, you won't find a call like that in his epistle at all. Why not? Well, for John, those two are one. As his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught him, love the Lord your God above all and love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like the first. You want to love God? Good. Show it by loving your neighbor. The love of God is realized in your love for each other. Whoever does not love does not know God, verse 8. You know, that's one of those bold statements for which John's epistle is known. When you don't love, you have never really come to know God. When others have never noted, observed, or experienced any love from you, it's impossible that you know God. Well, that's putting it very sharply. Evidently, for John, it's very important to keep these two together, knowing God and loving. And of course, then knowing doesn't mean that you know much about someone or something. Knowing God means that you confess Him, acknowledge Him, accept Him, and submit to Him, because of who and what he is. It means that you are familiar with him, confidently trusting in him, having communion, a relationship with him. If that's how you know God, it cannot be otherwise, or you want to love your neighbor. Why is that so natural, beloved, and to be expected? Because God is Love. Love be belongs to his being, just as truth does, or justice and light. He is the source of true love. God is love. Now, we are all aware how that expression has been used and misused and abused. People have twisted it to pursue their own ideas and ideals. It's even been turned around. Love is God. That is, every feeling of love must be from God. Or wherever there is love, God is, must be there. Of course, that's not what John means at all. When we hear in God's Word about His love, we first have to think of the love between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have been one in love from eternity. Hence, when the Lord Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he means we are one in love. 
God's Spirit of love unites them in love eternally. God is the source of love, the fountain of love. He radiates love. Hence, when He radiates love, those who know Him and have a relationship with Him reflect this love because you share in that relationship of love being born of God. Indeed, brothers and sisters, that's how John explains what he means when he says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, when you are born of God, you are a child of God. You belong to the divine family, sons and daughters of God together with the Son of God. Does that apply to anyone and everyone? No, it's closely linked to this knowing God. That is, this acknowledging Him, accepting Him, submitting to Him, and living with Him. They may call themselves children of God. Then you may be at home with God the Father and be one with God the Son as you show the spirit of love to God and to his other children. Then you are raised as child of God, brought up in the love of God and educated in the ways of this love that is different from the ways of the flesh. Our natural ways of egoism, of selfishness and self-centeredness Thus we learn to love from the love that we see Him show to us. This shows why and how the children of God and the children of the world are so different, as we have seen before in chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It's the love of those who live by faith, who walk in the truth and know God's true love. It's very clear from John's epistle, brothers and sisters, that all the attention is for God and His love, not for people's love. When you know God and His love, when you are at home with God and know Him in His divine love, you are His child who will show the same love like Father like son, like father, like daughter. That's the standard we should use in the church, therefore. Pious talk can be a lie. Special experiences can be deceiving. But those who have a heart for the brothers and sisters, they are children of God. These are the founding principles that show you know God. For that's what it means that God is love. All his activity is loving activity. When he creates, he creates in love. When he rules, he rules in love. When he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature, which is to love. 
Such knowledge of God's love, then, has far-reaching consequences for those who confess to know Him and reflect Him in His love. Hence, John's boldness, his assertiveness, you must love. You are to love. Of course, he doesn't assume that we have this in ourselves. Rather, he refers us to God. He points us to God as the source of our love. Love comes from God. Also your love for one another. Especially when we struggle with this command, beloved, we have to return to this origin of love, this source of love, God. As John puts it in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. As we have seen before, John keeps it simple when he contrasts light and darkness, truth and lie, love and hatred. Hence, when we question ourselves in our love for the other, or the other in his love, or the lack of it, then we should not question whether we are born again or not. No, we have to go back to God. We have to go back to His love for us. Therefore, when you wrestle with a lack of love for the other, or you wonder whether the other really loves you, you have to go back to the question, do I truly know God? Does the other actually know what love God has shown to him, bestowed on her? We need to end up with God when we need clarity on love. When the love for one another is lacking, the knowledge of God is missing. And the communion of saints is at stake due to a lack of communion with God. Then first and foremost is the reminder that God loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the foundation of love. In that way, God shows His love. Our second point, God shows love. Love has to come from both sides. Or so we say that usually, brothers and sisters, and if not, a relationship won't last. When all you are doing in a relationship is giving, and you never receive back, the love disappears. That's usually the case when love is no more than a feeling of love, or when we love in order to get something from the one we say to love. It's self-love, really. Because you are seeking to please yourself, develop yourself, benefit yourself. Or you love someone who likes you, depends on you, is attractive for you. People who love that way, sooner or later, dump the other because they've lost their use for the other. But that's not what the love of God is like. God's love, as we have seen repeatedly in this epistle, is agape love, giving love, sacrificial love. It's like father, like son in this love. 
God the Father gave his Son, sent his Son, and God the Son gave himself, sacrificed himself. In that sense, the Greek word for love, agape, is and sounds closest to the Hebrew word for love, ahav. God's sovereign love, his electing love, the love of God's good pleasure. That's not a love that favors the attractive ones, but that which is weak, humble, the least, or even what is hostile. He loved us while we were still sinners, enemies. That love, brothers and sisters, was one-sided in its origin. We didn't love God. He loved us. We didn't seek the communion with God. He came to seek us. We did not choose God, but he chose us. We didn't come to life through our works, our merits, our virtues, or our desires, but we received life thanks to the work of atonement by Christ. On our side, there were only sins. And there was no sacrifice in the world that we could make to atone for our sins. We could not reconcile ourselves with God. We did not ask God to send His Son. God sent Him from His heavenly glory upon His own initiative as a divine act of love. Why? We were rebellious and totally unlovable. We weren't interested in, in God or Christ at all. And we avoid him even when we can, yet God sent his son, that's true love, to love the unlovely. Yes, and then John adds yet another note of love by stressing the fact that God sent his only son, his unique one. He sent all that he had. That's true love. It's the most impossible call to make. Give your only one, your most loved one. Why? Because God so loved the world that he had, that had fallen in sin and guilt. He gave himself, really. And like father, like son, beloved, for the son also gave himself and sacrificed himself on the cross. Can you imagine what it meant for the father to see his son go into the world where he found enmity against God, hatred, scorn, mockery, rejection, yes, even death on the cross. In it we see the hatred of the world, even of the religious world, which cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And we see the incomprehensible love of God's Son who gave himself in order that we would have life. That's how God manifested himself, showing his love in everything that took place in Bethlehem, at Golgotha, in Gethsemane. God is love. That's what he showed in his work of atonement because he wanted to restore us to himself, to reconcile with us. 
and have communion with us. Yes, he did so because he wanted our love. Our love for him and for each other. That's what reconciliation through atonement means. Rehabilitation. Reunion. That's much more than just forgiveness. Forgiving us or forgiving one another. It's gone. There's no more obstacle in the way between one another. And the relationship is restored completely as before, purely and heartily. Well, beloved, if God so opened his heart in love to us and reconciled you with himself, could that be the end of the story? Would he not want this love to be extended to your life, in your life, and in the life with your brother and sister. Indeed, he wants it to be effective and reflect in your life with one another, making the sacrifice of his son infectious, contagious for you, inciting you, and touch your heart so that it becomes conciliatory towards others in your life. When you are putting yourself first, however, your own pride, self-esteem, feelings, or what have you, and it takes you I don't know how long to get over a perceived offense, projecting yourself as irreconcilable, hostile towards the other, you are living in hatred instead of love. You are cherishing hurt and hostility instead of forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration in love. That's man's nature. That's where the, lo the, the love of the world leads again and again. We love those who love us. God loved the world that hated him. Christ came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He who has seen him has seen the Father, he said, beloved. That is, he who has seen the Son's tenderness, his patience, his attracting the publican, the harlot, his empathy with the erring, Sorrowful and most of all his love in the agony and passion in his cross and death. He has seen the Father in his glorious love. You know, the whole unbelieving world cries out that they don't see anything of God's love. They point at all the misery, disasters and troubles in life and say, if there were a God who is love, the world would be different. Then John doesn't say that we can see God's love in the history, but that he showed his love in Jesus Christ. Yes, he does so to you and me also when we wonder why our life must be so difficult as it is. And he says, look at Christ. He loves you so much. And he also works that love, our third point. God works love. Then John puts there abruptly 
In verse 12, beloved, no one has ever seen God. And that's true. Because God is spirit and cannot be seen by the physical eye of man. Why does John interject this here? Well, John can speak glowingly of the love of God, but if we cannot see him, how can we know that it is really his love which has been manifested? God has revealed himself in his Son. But if we love one another, we come face to face with the work of God which he has performed in his people. That love which we have for each other is a sure sign that God is abiding in us because that love can come from no other source. His love is perfecting us. Then you don't ask yourself any longer, what could the other mean to me? But what can I mean to the other? Then the golden rule kicks in saying, do to others what you want others do to you. That's the fruit of the Spirit of God, verse 13. We can show such love only when we remain in God and He remains in us by His Holy Spirit. He teaches and trains us to believe, to love. This is how God's love is made complete in us, John says, beloved. That is, this is how it becomes reality in our life. It grows on you, progresses in you, and it works in you. This love cannot be shown to just a few whom we favor, or to those who qualify by our standards, or to people with whom we feel comfortable or agreeable, that would still be selfishness and false piety. The love of God that's working in us shows in our love for the neighbor, period. God wants to move on with us, helping us to fight against our own flesh, to accept the annoying one, bear with the stubborn one. He wants to establish unity in humility. He wants to see his one-sided love work through in our two-sided love. He wants to see the sacrificial love of Christ in the congregation of Christ. That's where we see God where his love shows in the love for the neighbor. That is the neighbor, the nearbor. That is the one who sits, who works, who lives, or belongs beside you. Amen.